One might say, well, David didn't have anything else to do. And you might be right. I'm sure David didn't have to worry about social media posts. And I'm sure David really wasn't concerned with his weekly television show. So in that sense, I'm sure he had much more time. But I think it's much more a matter of the heart. I think it's much deeper than that. We're busier than we've ever been and we have more things to fill our time than we've ever had. But if our hearts really want to worship and adore adore our Savior, we'll worship Him. We'll prioritize the things that we allow in our lives and to take our time and to consume us. When will we ever learn that all these things that detract away from God don't help us, but hurt us? If we could learn to wonder and meditate upon the goodness of God our hearts will be forever changed. Many believers view that, believe that when they get saved that they're changed and that is rightfully so, you become a new creation and they believe that they're changed and that's it. They don't have to change anymore but we've got to grow. And we've got to know God, not just facts about God, but we've got to know Him intimately. There's a God-shaped void in the heart of every man and woman. And it cannot be filled with anything other than God. That's why people pursue different avenues to bring them happiness. And it never seems to work. This psalm, you are familiar with it, you've heard it, you've read it. And it's a wonderful psalm. And it wasn't until I began to study this psalm that I was really captivated. I'll be honest with you. I'm excited to teach this morning what I learned. And whether you get nothing out of it or not, man, I have been blessed and I am thankful to God. As we begin this psalm and we read, he says, O Lord, our Lord. There's two different words, Lord, there. The first one is L-O-R-D, all in caps. So let's talk about his great name for just a moment. He begins with his name, two names actually. This is not an insignificant part of this psalm, but this is what sets the whole context for this psalm. This is where the psalm comes to life. It's most important of anything else he says. The first Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitals, is translated in English as Yahweh. It means the existing one. This is the proper name of the one true God. But listen to me. This name was unpronounceable by the Jews. Please hear me out, church. We've lost something in translation. All throughout this series on worship, I have said that we have become too chummy with God. We have lost our reverence for the holy God. We are so casual with God. If we want a fellowship with God, we will. If we don't want a fellowship with God, we won't. We make ourselves the one who determines relationship 
with God. Now, this is this four words, L-O-R-D, capital letters in your English Bible, is what we refer to as the tetragrammaton. That means four. Now, pay close attention, because this is where it gets good. It means four. Consisting of four consonants. Now, I had, I'll be honest with you, I had to go back and review what a consonant was. The English dictionary says, a consonant is a basic speech sound in which the breath is at least partly obstructed and which can be combined with a vowel to form a syllable. Now, breath, partly obstructed. Watch this. These are four consonants. Tetragrammaton means four. Four. When putting these four consonants together, there's a break. Ya, kwe. Did you see what I did? Ya, kwe. Ya, kwe. Every time anyone inhales the, and any time someone exhales the, you are pronouncing the name of God. When an atheist says there is no God, but he's breathing, he is pronouncing the tetragrammaton. Ironic, huh? Every time anyone breathes, he or she is pronouncing the name of God. The name that was not pronounceable, that the Jews would not pronounce out of reverence. Do you know that God created man and man was not a living soul until God breathed the breath of life into him and became a living soul? Do you know that the Bible says that the scriptures are God breathed? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. God breathed. The Bible says, at the very name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Name in the Hebrew, we in, in America don't really understand this. I think my mom was on to it. Names mean something. For instance, Kenneth means handsome. So, I mean, she was on to it. She got it. She nailed it. But what I'm trying to say... In, Brother Massey back there. Amen, brother. And, but, but what I'm trying to say, names meant something, especially in the Bible. And think about this. The Bible reveals all the names of God. For instance, Jehovah Jireh, right? El Shaddai, Jehovah Nissa. All these different names that meant something. Jehovah Jireh means God's provides. There was no one name that encompassed all of God because man can't describe God. The first time this tetragrammaton was used in the Bible was when Moses was instructed by God to, at the burning bush to lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses said, now God, what if they don't listen to me? What shall I tell? Who shall I tell them sent me? All the names of God, God says, you tell them, I am. I'm the existent one. The existing one. The tetragrammaton. It's all encompassing of God. It's all encompassing revelation of God. 
So I started digging and I went into some rabbinic literature. I want to see what the Jews wrote about this. And I found as I was studying in the rabbinic literature that the name Yahweh was not pronounced by any Jews. The only time it was ever pronounced was by the high priest. And the only time the high priest ever pronounced it was during his priestly blessing and it had to be inside the temple. We have certainly lost something from then to now. We don't understand the significance and the depths to... We don't understand that. That God is the very essence of the breath we breathe. Not saying that He is our breath, but He is the giver of our breath. That the Scriptures were breathed out by God. And God is so holy and righteous, and I don't believe in coincidences, that every time you take a breath, inhale, exhale, you proclaim the existing one. The name above all names. God. To the Jew, God is so holy and so high, they won't even pronounce His name. If we could catch today, this would change our lives. We no longer would picture the Lord the way we want Him to be, but we would see Him the way He is. They couldn't even approach the mountain or they would die. God told Moses, you go down and tell the people, don't cross the boundary. If they cross the boundary, they'll die. When the priests went into the Holy of Holies, they tied a cord around his leg so that if he were to die inside, they could pull him out because they knew if they breached beyond that veil, he is so holy, they would die. And in our culture, men have taken the name and made it a common curse word. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. The second Lord is Adonai. Adonai means Lord or Master. It reveals His sovereignty. God is in absolute control of everything. If He were not in control of everything, that means He would be out of control. He is not out of control. He's an in-control God. David chooses his words very carefully. In his wonder of the Lord, he is captivated of how God, who is sovereignly in control of everything, would even want anything to do with a lowly man. That God would even be mindful to think of us, let alone create us, was baffling to David. It's when we get lost in the wonder of God that He, God, reveals Himself to us. And let me remind you, if we're going to know anything about God, it's because He has chosen to reveal Himself to us. So let's take these two aspects of the revelation of His names and put them together. The first aspect is majesty. How excellent is your name? Excellent means majestic or great. 
Majesty is reserved for royalty. It's not a common word. God is majestic. He is supreme. He rules over the world. Majestic implies rule and order. He rules over heaven and earth. There is no one greater than He. The second aspect is glory. Glory means splendor. Again, I had to return to the Oxford English Dictionary to define splendor. You know, it's kind of amazing. We, in our English, we think we know what words mean until a kid asks us, what does this word mean? And we're like, well, it means to, you, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, well, you know. And uh, so I had that little debate with myself. In English, splendor means magnificent. He is impressively beautiful and extravagant. That's what magnificent means. He is impressively beautiful and extravagant. You see, David is captivated by the majesty and splendor of God. When's the last time you and I were captivated by anything of God? When's the last time we meditated on His greatness, His magnificence, His awesomeness? We have come at a place in our lives, and I'm, I'm not trying to operate on guilt and beat you up. You have your own relationship with God, and I'm not in charge of your relationship. I struggle with my own relationship. But there are so many things that we put so much emphasis on that mean nothing to the neglect of something that would be transformational, such as our relationship with God. We give away that power that comes from knowing God because we put so much energy in other things. And I'm not just talking about going to church. You come to church once, twice, three times a week maybe at the most and you live all the other days on your own. This is not something that's reserved for a worship hour. This is something that is for every bit of every day of our lives that we glory and that we're captivated with the splendor and the magnificence and the glory of God. But even in our worship, it's sometimes very difficult to focus on God. Even in our worship, we focus on ourselves and our things and what we got to do. And I wonder why someone said this when I walked in this morning. And I can't believe she's wearing that. And all these things that we get all been out of shape over that have nothing to do with us. And they certainly have nothing to do with the Lord. David is captivated by the majesty and splendor of God. Notice in verse 3, he targets this. Well, we'll go to verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. I, I, I was confused with this. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Simple. I was confused with verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing, nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And it's interesting because I thought, what in the world is he talking? I don't get this. It was until I figured out, Yahweh, out of the mouths of infants, he has ordained strength, praise. And what is that? Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy of your avenger. On the breath of every infant is the name of God. And when they, that baby is born, and you see that baby, and that baby is breathing, that breath of life that God gave that baby, that baby is saying, 
And the enemies can't do anything about it. The enemies can do nothing about it. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, he begins to think of the creation of the earth. David leads us to the creation of the earth. He says, when I consider, perhaps it was started when David was a shepherd out in the pasture and he would lay at night as the sheep were sleeping and he would look up into the stars and he would see the beauty on display of God. Do you know that um, uh, Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens declared the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Can I say to you, you know why there are so many people who are bent on evolution. And you know why the devil forces evolution so hard? I'll tell you why. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. God's creation declares the glory of God. And the last thing that Satan wants is the declaration of God's glory. So therefore, if he can bring in evolution and say God didn't create the heavens and the earth, then he will take away that argument. But let me just tell you, he's foolish. He is doomed and damned and he is over. Our God reigns. And his, his, his heavens declare, declare the glory of God. David said, when I consider your heavens, he was acknowledging that creation reveals the glory of God. In verse 2 he says, or excuse me, the second part of verse 1, he says, Who have set your glory above the heavens. The numeric standard says this, Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. It's on display for anyone to see. When I was in Israel, we had the privilege of one morning of getting up right on the Sea of Galilee. We stayed in a, in a hotel and we had the privilege. They had a little uh, outdoor area that overlooked the Sea of Galilee. And Dr. Reynolds that morning gathered some of us at sunrise, and we got up and we had a sunrise service overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And may I say to you, it was magnificent. And I can still see, remember, the sun coming up over those mountains. And I can remember the sunrise and the beauty of God's creation. We go outside and you look around and you can see the glory of God on display. Have you ever stood? I'm an ocean guy. I love the ocean. Some of you hate the ocean. I get it. I understand it. But I love the ocean. And I stand there on the beach and I look out and all I can see is water. And I look at the, His magnificent creation. And I look at His glory on display. How He, the Bible says, cut the seas. And He said the sea can only go this far. He's the one that put the boundary where the seas can go and they don't go. He says, the work of your fingers. I love this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. Why did he use fingers? Well, he uses fingers to suggest his great power. That a creation was of a minimal work for him. As a matter of fact, if you would read, the Bible says that he spoke and it came into existence. This is the God we're talking about. This is the God to whom we owe honor, glory, and praise. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The physical creation of the earth declares the glory of God. 
David is captivated by the glory of God in his creation. And then his mind goes to man. Think about this. His creation of man. Verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? The thought of how great, how a great and magnificent God is, how high He is, how lofty, how grand, how holy, how righteous He is, and how lowly man is. Do you know that shepherds were not thought highly of? They were thought to be barbarians and they were kind of like the, the segment of the, of the unsophisticated portion of their generation and people, many people didn't want to be with them. They stunk and they were filthy, and they lived in the fields, and so they were the underlings of the society. David being a shepherd boy, being a king, he's been in both places. He is dwelling on the glory of God, and he says, how in the world could it be that you, God, would be mindful of me? Do you know that God knows everything about you? The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every intricate thing about you, whether you have hair or not, God made you. It's interesting. Rather than us living a life and accepting what God made us to be, we spend millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to be what God made us not to be. I mean, trying not to be what God made us to be. Because we care more about what man thinks than we do about what God thinks. Do you know that God intricately made everything about you? Do you know that God made everyone in this room? And when you go against someone, you're going against God's creation. It's amazing to me that God would want anything to do with me. that a holy and a righteous God would want anything to do with me. It's interesting, he says here in verse 5, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. That word angels is the word Elohim. And most often Elohim is used in the Bible as the name of God. I quote from Dr. Walvoord, he says, The NIV and the authorized versions have interpreted the Hebrew word Elohim as meaning heavenly beings or angels. However, this word usually refers to God Himself, and we should probably understand it in this sense here too. In other words, what he is saying is God made man a little lower than Himself. And notice what else he says. And you have crowned Him with glory and honor. The creation of man was the crowning work of God's creation. He created us. David said God created man lower than himself and crowned him with glory and honor. Man was God's most important creation. In so much as he gave man dominion over all creation. This was humbling to David. You have made him, verse 6, to have dominion over the works of your hands. What was the works of his hands? It was creation. 
You have put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. This humbled David in so much as he ends the psalm the way he begins the psalm, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth. (coughs) Excuse me. Do you know that there are no coincidences in the Bible? It's the beginning and the end is God. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what we are seeing here is that David had this wonder, this wonder about God. May we never lose our sense of wonder, especially in that God loved us and created us. You're not a mistake. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And God wants a relationship with you. He wants to change your life. Don't look at this as a bunch of rules and regulations. Look at this as a relationship with the living God. He knows everything about you. Every thought you would ever have. Every action you've ever done or ever will do. He knows it. There is nothing that God does not know. He knows everything and yet He wants a relationship with you. With you. He invites you to see Him in all of His glory. He invites you to experience Him. He loves you and He created us to fellowship with us and for us to worship Him. I believe that David repeats his opening because his wonder led him back to the Lord. When's the last time you and I were captivated by the Lord and we we were led to just praising His name? Don't we oftentimes, don't we more lament about the things we don't have or the things that are not going right than we do about our magnificent, glorious God? Don't we many a times focus all of our attention on the things that's going on in the world and we get so out of shape out of, over this, over that, and we miss out on seeing and having His splendor and His glory revealed to us. You see, it's when we worship God that He is revealing Himself to us. And God wants us to know Him. And He invites us to fellowship with Him. Listen, why would you not want to worship and fellowship Him? If you're saved, you're going to spend eternity doing that. Why not start now? Why not get into good practice? Why not open your heart and see the glory of God? Why not go outside and take a walk and look at His creation and see that the heavens declare the glory of God? Why not take up our lips and praise our great God? That's the purpose of the wonder of God. To bring us to worship and praise our great and magnificent God. O Lord, our Lord, how magnificent, how excellent, how glorious, how splendorous, splendorous, is your name. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, God invites you into a personal relationship with Him by faith.
You can't work for it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't earn it. You can't inherit it. All you can do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive it. Receive it. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you will understand today that you are a sinner and because of your sin you deserve to die. Secondly, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you. He paid the penalty for you. He died for your sin. He was buried and He arose from the grave. And if you're willing to turn to Him in repentance and faith, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that He died for you, that He was buried and He arose from the grave, and that He will take you to heaven because you're trusting in Him and Him alone, you will be saved. And you can have that relationship with God. Church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Get raptured in the thought and wonder and glory and splendor and magnificence of God. Take time out of your day and force yourself to dwell on His goodness and His glory. You know... It is not, it is not uh, a coincidence that when you set out to worship the Lord that you become distracted and all your phone rings and this, that, and the other breaks down. It's not, a, it's not that. You are in a battle. The Bible says that we're in a battle and our battle is not with flesh and blood but against principalities, against spiritual dark places and high positions. And so I would encourage you, open your heart to God. Worship Him. Know Him. Love Him. You and I will be forever changed. Would you bow with me for prayer?